Chisholm, Probus Energy Services. Thank you for joining the program today. We're going to talk about all things energy here. Well, not all things energy, but many things energy. But let's start off today by talking a little bit about Probus Energy Service, what you guys are doing out there in the world of energy. Absolutely. So Probus is a full-service land brokerage, everything from title, curative, all the way up to uh, anything you may need from uh, from a land perspective. Uh, but we, what we really do and what we really pride ourselves on is is we think that we're really, really good at relationships. And uh, what I mean by relationships is not just the interpersonal between you know me, you, our client, but really the way we think about relationships is that uh, information and, and data is a relationship. It's just a series of, of, of yes, no questions. And we think that if we can be the best at, at uh, finding those the answers to those yes, no questions and, and, and really tying in the relationship between land, uh, the owner, land, and uh, uh, an ENP company, ENP companies to the owners. Basically, if we can get, um, if we can tie in all those relationships and use that data to make companies more strategically effective, that's really where our, we think that we're the absolute best in, in the industry is, is, is taking those relationships and, and, and making something useful out of that information, uh, making strategic level decisions or at least assisting with strategic level decisions to make a company, you know, more effective, more uh, efficient. Um, kind of the analogy we like to use is, you know, we want you guys uh, hunting with a rifle as opposed to uh, with a shotgun and just kind of spraying BBs out there. We'd like you to be precise, uh, the best value for your dollar. So let me go to the first question that I'm sure people have, which is technology, because you say efficient and a lot of other words like that. And, of course, technology innovation is the first uh, thing that comes to mind. I'm still going to circle back to land because that's one of the first things you said. So uh, talk to me about how technology and innovation is making companies more efficient in the world of land and, and that whole thing. Do, do you know what I mean by the question? Yeah, I love that question. It's actually one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, so in a prior life, um, I was a uh, an active duty Air Force officer. Um, I'm an F-16 pilot by training. And one of the lessons that we talk about in the Air Force as far as a, a study on technology is the F-4, a a classic airplane everybody can picture vietnam era fighter and and, and really a workhorse uh, for the air force and unfortunately the the f4 is the perfect example of how high technology and the the belief in technology above everything kind of was a it was really a detriment for the air force and so, you know, the Air Force put a lot of, of, of time, attention into just designing this incredible fighter. It, it won speed records. It had all these time-to-climb records. I mean, it was just a marvel of modern technology. Unfortunately, when it went up to, uh, in combat in Vietnam against a technically inferior aircraft, uh, it, 
I won't say it failed, but it, it went from a, uh, a 10 to one kill ratio that the air force enjoyed in Korea to a three to one kill ratio in Vietnam. And the answer was, is we weren't harnessing that technology the right way. We were, uh, we were putting the, the, the machine, the technology, above the thought process on how you actually use technology. And so, and so when I talk to companies about technology, I, I believe in technology. I believe in, in the things that it can do, the, the way that you can actually harness uh, technology. But the, the key is, is that you have to do it the right way. You have to... Um, you have to start with, you know, st- really strategic thinking on on on, on what we can actually do uh, with this technology. We need to, you know, it should tr- it should truly transform. Excuse me, the way that we the way that we think, the way that we operate, and 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 we need to really build our organizations around that strategic level thinking, um, and and understand that uh, we we really need to harness these tools correctly in the in the right way and what what can it truly offer technology without a um without a good strategic level understanding of what it can do to to make us more efficient and effective is is really a failed tool um and so and so that's what that's what we really do and and we're really honestly we're you know software agnostic but what what i what i believe in is that um with the way that we can uh, gather data and gather information extremely fast, the way that we can, uh, with certain algorithms, we can filter that information uh, extremely quickly. Now we can take that information and we can and and make it useful. But but there has to be the human in the loop there to 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 break it into its parts and pieces. Uh, understand, you know, the, the factors that truly move the needle when it comes to making, you know, strategic level decisions and put that information back together in useful and interesting ways and then come up with a concept, a new idea uh, based on that information, assess the theory, and then put it into practice. You mentioned the That's Air Force. Oh, I was going to say you mentioned the Air Force. Uh, defense analogy I think that's rather interesting because so much of our technology and innovation comes out of the air or comes out of defense whether it be the microwave or the internet Uh, the roots of it seem to come from a lot of the investments that are made into defense contracting do you see some of the parallels there in in oil and gas absolutely I do and I think that um, you know what we do, we do. We do some things really well uh, in the defense industry. We do some things that are that not not very well. Yeah, one of the things that we do uh, really well is when it comes to uh, the gathering of intelligence, and 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 we take you know a lot of different uh, parts and pieces of information, and we build it together into a coherent uh, understanding of what the of what the threat is and. And in our own gas, we, we seek to do the same thing. So take a lot of um, potentially disparate bits of information, whether it is you know geology, reservoir engineering, the actual um, 
situation on the ground, who owns the land, who owns the minerals, who owns whatever. And let's put all these parts and pieces together and, and then, and, and then make a coherent, you know, uh, uh, outlay of, in this case, not the threat, but maybe the state of the, of the play, maybe the state of the, the region, um, particular tactic, whether it's, you know, horizontal drilling, vertical, depending on the, the play. But you know, that, that thought process, it, it is starting to be, you know, put into play. And it's all based on, in a lot of ways, how the, the military intelligence community has um, kind of set the stage for what's possible of, of gathering these, you know, disparate bits of information from across the, you know, well, in their case, across the, across the globe. I find it interesting how many different uh, breakdowns there can be of just land in general. Um, you know, off the top of my head, minerals, water, surface, regulations. Uh, is am, am I in in the ballpark or what you what you're talking about? All these different angles and slices when it comes to land. That's a lot of moving parts, and when you got a lot of moving parts, it's very hard to get a five thousand foot view of what's going on. I think you're 100% correct, and it and I think people have a tendency to um, to to focus on what they're good at, whether it's you know engineering or whether it is is title, and it, it takes a it takes a dedicated effort to step back for a moment and say, okay, what does all this mean? And then gathering the experts in order to you know to be able to to, to put all those parts and pieces together. Whether you're a, you know, I, I see it, you know, times when we, we speak with companies where, you know, the CEO is a, is a trained reservoir engineer. And so, you know, of course, what, what moves the needle for him, what, what excites him is, is, you know, really getting into the, into the weeds on, uh, on reservoir engineering and how we're going to tweak, you know, these wells to, to get the best production. But maybe that's not where I need my, you know, my CEO's time, right? Or my COO's time, my CFO's. I, I really need those guys you know, stepping back a bit and, and really concerned with, with process and strategy. How can I empower my folks to make the, the best decisions? couple questions here. First one is uh, just different shale plays. I mean, are you guys in uh, different shale plays? Or are you just focusing on one specific uh, shale play or maybe one specific state? And then second question, um, I'm not familiar with my Latin because uh, I'm, I'm basically self-taught through being a Catholic. I was an altar boy and a Sunday school teacher, that sort of thing. So I picked up a few you know, um, Latin phrases and words and roots and everything through the priests through the years. But probus, isn't that a Latin word? It is a it is a Latin word, and I'll start with hey, the first. Hey, look word. at that! Look at I see my memory still serves me okay. So, no, all right. that's impressive. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. So, um, I can start with the first question. So, Probus, we're involved in uh, basically all the shell plays. We're uh, we're we're nationwide. We think um, we think we're really really good at finding the right folks uh, for the right area. So, whether it's uh, Utah. You know, there's some definitely uh, interesting, you know, personalities and things that go there. So we try to find, you know, landmen that are that are familiar with the area and hopefully from there. And then, you know, we do the same thing across the nation. So we we 
uh, you know, we love it all equally, honestly. And as far as Probus, I mean, you hit it right on the nail. That, that is a Latin word, and it's and it's really about uh, the idea of truth uh, and goodness and and rightness. And so, you know, that's our idea is that you know, through all things, we we believe in in, in truth. Uh, what is the what is the answer? Whether it's you know, who owns the land, who owns the minerals, um, to what's the right answer uh, for a title opinion or or you know, a drilling opinion, something like that. So it's 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 about truth and rightness, and then and then obviously that relationship with our clients, making sure that we're we're treating them the right way, um, and and doing the right thing for them. Are you guys just focused on the United States? Are you looking at possibly branching into some other areas? I mean, you mentioned that you know the Air Force, and uh, I'm just kind of going by some assumptions of your age. So I'm I'm assuming you're talking uh, Iraq, uh, Afghanistan wars. Um, and so therefore, you'd be familiar with the <laughs> geopolitical oil climate, but at the same time, the opportunities that exist over and there in countries like Qatar and, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So are, are you just focused on the U.S. or are you guys looking at some international uh, exposure down the line? You know, no, sir. I think we're, we're really focused on, on, on the U.S. for now. I think uh, there's there's a lot of opportunity in the U.S., especially as we as we get really, really good at these um, um, horizontal wells and what you know what exactly is the is the right way to drill these things based on the play and all those kind of things. So we're focused on the U.S. Um, and you know maybe someday, but uh, for now, uh, the, the the continental United States. No, there's plenty of opportunity in the in the United States, no question about it. Um, it's just one of those things where, you know, I mean, the, the, the market went global. Uh, it's becoming more global every day. And uh, people are, you know, um, kind of redefining their business plans and, and some of their things. And by redefining, sometimes business as usual is a very good redefinition of what it is and just doing the same thing but better. Because uh, a lot of people are talking about the, the customer service and the uh, quality of work is really starting to shine through here as um, energy companies are sharp, sharpening their pencils going into 2020. Have you found that uh, working with some of your clients? You mentioned the word efficiency and, and you're into cost savings, that sort of thing. How much of the you know quality and just kind of... Um, that sort of, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, ethical. There you go. Just that you brought up that word earlier. So just kind of that side of the business going into it. How much of that are you seeing for saving people uh, money? Because being, being a person of your word seems to be saving companies a lot of dough these days. Yes, sir. I think you I think you've hit it right on the, uh, hit the nail right on the head there when it comes to if companies are going to survive going into 2020, I truly believe that um, they do need to adjust their their business model to um, to really really seek those efficiencies. And you know, commodity price is not going to save them right now, and they're not going to be able to to drill their way uh, either out of trouble. Um, and I also think that you know, having to look for the long term, you know, potentially being unable to you know, to, to flip an asset after three to five years, I, I, I'm not sure that, that possibility exists right now. And so, you know, 
having to live out of cash flow and it, it forces it's forcing people to be extremely efficient and and for me i love that i think that's that's great let's let's go seek these efficiencies let's go find to make our whether it's you know in a top down you know let's make the organization as sleek and efficient as possible let's make our let's eliminate as many friction points as we can from our daily operation let's let's put processes in place so that employees don't have to learn their job uh, every single day you know brand new they can do they can do the same thing uh, more efficiently more effectively and and they are you're, you're absolutely correct they're getting better and that is really exciting to me because um, you know the companies that survive through 2020 uh, goodness they are going to be great uh, going forward they're going to be just absolutely you know like you said their swords are sharp and they are ready to you know to, to be truly effective you know going forward and that's exciting for me because that's that's uh, you know an entire career spent um, being better at the, the minor efficiencies and and how just you know when you add those little efficiencies up how 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 much you can truly make yourselves better and and what's I love watching it from our clients I like watching it across the industry and I can't wait to you know to, to find those strategic partners that believe in efficiency believe in and in, in, in helping making themselves more efficient effective and just where you know we as probus can kind of dovetail into that and and really supercharge that that effort. You know, I found it interesting, the learning curve between the two different industries as the technology world went into the oil and gas industry. And, you know, the downturn came through in 2014. And so you had just a very interesting dynamic of, and I'm just processing this right now as, as we're talking, which was, you know, the energy industry doesn't mind, you know, paying for things that work, but... At the same time, you, you got to be darn sure that it works. And this is a whole new paradigm shift for them. I mean, horizontal drilling, big data into HR departments. You've got the whole environmental movement coming up as per, for public relations departments to worry about. So you're really, you got a lot of things happening. And so for technology companies to have to, have to figure out ways to sharpen their pencils that was a little bit different than frac sand companies. And you know what I mean? Companies who had been through oil and gas ups and downs before on, you know, kind of ebb and flowing from time to time. I did find that interesting with technology companies because they never had to do that before. Yeah, I, I, I do agree with that. Um, and I think we're really going to see over this next year, I think we're going to see where, you know, what is the true power of, of the information? What is the true power? Um, how can, how can it truly affect us strategically? Um, and it's not just a cool toy, but rather what, what can it actually do for me? What's, what's the, uh, what's the end result? What's the, what's the thing that it's going to, going to do. And I think we're going to start figuring that out. Um, more. If that's, if that's the right way to say that. No, we are. Definitely. I mean, in, information is, is a commodity. It has been since the dawn of man. It's just that when it's so free and everyone's got so much of it, it's hard to figure out who has 
the better steak sandwich as we go through, you know, uh, some because you know there's still going to be a lot of money circulating around the planet, circulating around the United States, and as people go in in and out of you know recessions and and dips of industry, uh, there's just a time when you got to make a better steak sandwich and you got to figure out a way to tell people about the steak sandwich. So. Um, the technology part with the information, I do think, is going to be an interesting commodity. You know, where I'm, where, where I'm based out of North Dakota in the Bakken, uh, the whole, the the whole um, shale play is based out of the fact that we've been storing information since I think the '50s. So every core sample that's that's been drilled since the '50s, we have a library of it up at the University of North Dakota, and. Because of that library, the oil companies knew exactly where to drill, what to drill, and how to drill. So when when it was $100 oil, it was bonanza to go out and drill those those wells, prove, because I think you have to prove it, like physically prove it as well. But they knew it was, it was a sure thing. So you go out there and you prove it. And then, and then in North Dakota, you have, I think, 20, 25 years to go back and, and redo redrill that well and so once you've proven it that it's there which they already knew because of the information then it's just a numbers game after that it's just you know it's it's wheat it's corn it's soybeans it's a commodity play you know yeah you created a commodity that's right yeah Yeah. and and that's that's what happened in the Bakken and that's really what they want to try to do in other shale plays because once you create the commodity you got a little bit more predictability when it comes to you know the drilling uh, it's just now you kind of worry about the oil prices, which, you know, is about as predictable as the climate. So, uh, well, it, you know, and I think you, I ahead. think you, you, you hit on something really interesting there, which is, and it's, it's a piece that I think we miss sometimes, which is, okay, so, uh, we, we know the oil's there, we know how to get it. And then, and then, so we start drilling our, our horizontals, we frack, and then we, we get our initial results. And then, like you said, in the Bakken, you have 20 to 25 years to, uh, you know, to to work over the well to make it better to continue to you know eke those efficiencies out of that well, and that's the key right there is that feedback loop going back from okay, what's our result? What was our expected result? And then now let's take those lessons and let's apply that forward. Let's let's continue this feedback loop, and and uh, that is what's going to make or break, in my opinion. Um, in the other shale plays is the ability to do that. You know, did, did, is the spacing right? And if the spacing is wrong, you know, let's not, let's not send money after a bad idea. Let's, let's, let's fix it. Let's, let's make it better for next time. And when, you know, at commodity prices, the way they are now, we, we have to get a robust feedback loop, you know, up and down the organization to say, what did we, what did we do? What were the results? And now how do we make it better for next time? Who's your customer, by the way? Well, we've got uh, we've got. That's a great question. I mean, you, you don't have to name me specifics, but just you know, operators, midstream, anyone, you know, the guy who's sitting at the cafe. <laughs> so uh, we'll take all comers. I'll say that, but uh, you know, EMP companies are our primary customers right now, and who we're reaching out to uh, now is we'd like to to reach out to private equity companies themselves as well as you know uh companies that have a, a fresh private equity commitment and we think we've really got a um 
a really good idea on how to on how to help those folks specifically based on you know their business model uh the transition of of how private equity dollars are starting to flow into the industry from a uh you know maybe we're in a a a live out of cash flow model as opposed to let's build it up and sell it in three to five years and how that's going to change the way that these organizations are structured and how they they need to operate to go forward what's your guys plan for 2020 as we wind down well first of all uh you know i like to ask people have you got a story of the year a trend of the year an issue of the year we've had everything from california wildfires to the uncertainty in investors to, you know, everybody's uh, world is different when it comes to energy, when it comes to oil and gas, especially. It's a really big marketplace that affects so many different things that pipelines are another one that, you know, was kind of the big story of the year. There's so many stories of the year when it comes to oil and gas. So just from your guys' perspective, what, what do you think kind of stood out to you in 2019? I think the thing that moved the needle the most for us was was the transition in the mentality of of private equity investment, and you know it seems like a small thing in in, in certain respects, but when um, when the, when the mentality changes, it, you know it affects how these companies spend dollars, and and as a, us as a service company, you know you know we're the first ones to to feel the hit on that from a you know from a cash flow standpoint is. You know, okay, these guys need to go make themselves more efficient, um, and the first thing they do is they cut the taps for for how they want to uh, spend dollars outside their company. And so, and so for us, that was the thing that we just, you know, we kind of we butt our heads up against until we started thinking about the problem differently. And that was the that was the big thing for us is okay. It was really good, honestly. Is okay. Well, the the landscape has changed. So so how do we attack this problem from a different angle? And, and I think it made us uh, smarter. And, and overall, I really like our business model now today than I did at the beginning of the year, the beginning of 2019. Just kind of sidebar question a little bit. Do you guys have like a quick elevator pitch or a quick version of, um, you know, if you're at a cocktail party or at church or a cafe, somebody says, hey, what's a landman? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, because I did, somebody did that to me one day, and I kind of paused, and I just said, "Well, what do you need them to do?" <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, that's a, what man. What a great question. So, um, I can tell you the way that it was explained to me was, um, you know, sometime the, the landman is is he's the perfect historian, and and truly, the best landmen are the guys that are they're interested in the history of. Uh, of the land and and that's the really the true constant is land that's the thing that's not changing as far as now ownership may change and all those things but the land itself doesn't change and so that land man is a historian primarily that is his bread and butter job is he's a historian he's going to go back and he's going to research the history of that land going back to patent and, and and then the best ones are the ones that are interested in the story well how did this change hands from you know, the state or the federal government to private ownership. And then from there, you following that, that trail through history, you know, okay, when did the oil boom hit this particular region? And then you can start seeing the, the fracture of the surface and the minerals. And then you can just follow these families. And, and I love that, the relationships between families, between 
companies as you see the rise and fall of these companies uh you can see these families you know start to as they have kids and grandkids and great grandkids and how the how that land passed down and so the so landman is he is the historian of the land and then everything that goes with that from you know we've got landmen that they're great mineral buyers we've got landmen that are great lease buyers you know we've got you know landmen that are just you know excellent coke bottle thick glasses and they love to just get in there and just be the best historians you got time for one more question i do good before we go into overtime good deal uh the reason I ask you, Harold Ham, Continental Resources, just stepped down as CEO. He's going to stay on as, as an executive uh, chairman of the board, I believe. And one of the first stories, I want to say, is story number three that I did. The first one was, uh, this is not an oil boom, it's a technology boom, and talked about how it was the technology that was driving the production of the oil the second story I did was uh, the shovels and picks of the Bakken or the shale play, basically. You know, it's the guys who created this, who sold the shovels and picks that made the money. It wasn't the, the gold, you know, prospectors. Right. And, the, and the third one I did was the special relationship between ag and energy because I, you know, I, I grew up in an agricultural world. Um, I wasn't exposed to energy until I was probably, you know, halfway th into my professional life. And then I went out and lived in the oil patch, so I embedded myself out there and slept in RVs and in my vehicle and, you know, did all that different stuff. And the thing that I really got from it was there was a big respect for the land. And so when all this environmental stuff came came about, I, I just, it really didn't compute with me because... What I experienced, what I witnessed, and who I talked to, and in my life coming into this, not from this, so I had no pre-bias at all. In fact, I had post-bias, or not, that's not the right word, but I, my bias was, was not very friendly towards oil and gas, to be honest. Um, it was after the BP spill and, and that movement started happening. I, I couldn't believe the amount of respect that these oil companies had for the land. And you're talking about for the history. I'm talking about the actual preservation and just ensuring that the landowners are on board with everything. Um, you know, this is, it's, it's not really a question. It's more of, I just like to get your comments on the relationship between energy and, and ag and, and energy and the land and, and that sort of thing, because I think that's a story that really does not get talked about as much as I'd like. I, I really appreciate you saying that. And I, I couldn't agree more. I, uh, my dad grew up as a, a farmer in North Texas. And when you talk to my dad about land, there is a, a there's a gleam. I mean, there's, there's something to, you know, the way that a farmer views land. And I've, I've always respected that. And when I first got into the oil and gas industry, I, I was, I was frankly, I was nervous that what I was going to find was pirates and that they were out there just, they were going to get the, you know, the, the resource as by any means possible. And, and what I found was, a very similar belief that I found in my dad towards the land, which was that this is a 
a, a very important resource. We need to be as responsible as possible to get that resource out of the ground. It drives America and, and, you know, whatever the, you know, environmental folks think about that, it currently, it drives our economy. It is the reason that we are such a powerful nation. And I do believe that, at least in my experience, the, the, the guys that are, that are out there getting the resource, believe in it, and they're doing it as responsibly as possible because they understand the price of failure. They've seen it. They've, they've watched, you know, the, the public, you know, um, their opinion towards, you know, their job from the Exxon Valdez to the BP to, you know, uh, the pipeline. It just, when something bad happens, it, it negatively affects our nation and the industry so much that they are, and they're dedicated to doing it the right way and, and, and to honoring that resource. And, and it's, it's, it's the reason I'm still doing this because I, 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 I believe in, I believe in it. I believe in, in the responsibility and, and the relationship these folks have with, with this resource. Well, before we give you the final word, the final thought, make sure you plug your website. Now people can um, track you down, get in touch with you and everything. We'll have to have you back on to tell a story about a specific parcel of land. Make it really like some Nancy Drew story. If that's, if that, is that a reference? I don't even know. Um, oh yeah, I, mean, but, I grew up reading Nancy. Drew. I know, I, 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 a few of us did, but I'm starting to, you know, question my references these days because I'm, I'm, you know, I got a lot more gray, a lot more salt and pepper these days. So I gotta. No, you're in good company here. <laughs> <Yeah, I> gotta... <laughs> mysteries, we're, we're, I'm there. So how can people get in touch with you and uh, uh, inquire about doing some business with you if if they so choose? Yeah, absolutely. So we're at. ProbusEnergyServices.com, and that's P-R-O-B-U-S, EnergyServices.com. And uh, it's got all the information you could ever want uh, on our website and get in touch with our great business development folks. And and we would absolutely love to do uh, work for you, not just the typical land brokerage stuff, but really harness information, technology to help you be more strategically efficient and effective and be your, your strategic partner there.